You know, when I was a kid growing up in church in Sunday school, we used to sing about Jonah. And this is the song we sang. Jonah, Jonah, did not obey God immediately. Jonah, Jonah, down in the depths of the deep blue sea. Right? We remember hearing Ron shaking his head. He's going to make a meme about that later, I'm sure. Uh, uh, Jonah is this funny character in uh, Christian culture, right? We treat him like a lovable little scamp. Silly Jonah, you can't disobey God. And then cut to a whale, and and, and Jonah's inside it like Pinocchio, right? Ta-da! Jonah learned his lesson. Everyone lived happily ever after. But we're not children in Sunday school anymore. So this morning, we're going to start a two-part series and look at the full story of Jonah with our Sunday school glasses off. And see what this story is really trying to tell us. And they might not have told you this in Sunday school, but this is the real headline of this story. Rebellious prophet hates God for loving his enemies. And we're going to see as we look at this book of the Bible that this account of the life of Jonah is not to celebrate Jonah as a Bible hero, but rather to show us that you can be right and have good theology, and still be a hateful and mean person. The works of Tim Mackey from The Bible Project helped me a lot with this sermon. So to give you a little bit of background on this book, the author that wrote this book of the Bible is anonymous. Now, some scholars believe that Jonah is the one who penned it, because you get a lot of like Jonah's thoughts and Jonah's words inside of a whale. How much would anybody else ever know that? But if he is the one that penned it, he is brutally honest with his flaws as a prophet. Perhaps after all that happens in this short book, he does finally repent of his prejudice and hate. This story is set about 800 years before the birth of Christ. And a major character in this story is the city of Nineveh. This city was part of the Assyrian Empire, and its people were known for their brutality. 200 years after Jonah prophesied to Nineveh and the people repented, the prophet Nahum also prophesied to Nineveh about their sin and things went differently. And the city fell to the Medes and the Chaldeans, and that was around 600 B.C. But with the story of Jonah, we see that although God's chosen people in the Old Testament were the Jews, we see here that God loved and showed mercy on the Gentiles as well. So Jonah appears only one other time in the Old Testament, and that is before the book of Jonah in the book of 2 Kings. And he there prophesied favor to a wicked king named Jeroboam II, that his country would be prosperous and regain all their borders. So apparently Jonah was okay with this message and with this audience. Although, uh, all throughout this book, we see Jonah's selfishness. And it's the contrast between Jonah's selfishness and these pagan people around him that are repenting and being humble. We see the sailors and the Ninevites. All right, let's rewind and go all the way back to the beginning. We'll be in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, if you want to turn there real quick and follow along these first couple chapters. It says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But 
Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. I hate that word so much. I can't say it. I practice it in every... Tarshish. It just sounds super weird. Uh, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. See, I can't do it. From the presence of the Lord. That's a weird thing to do for a prophet, right? But he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So (laughs) I done ruined it in mentioning it now. Uh, every time I'm going to hear you laugh every time I say it. Yeah, how about we just say the city in the opposite direction? So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to that city away from the presence of the Lord. So first we see this book opening with a message from God. And God is telling Jonah to go to people that he didn't want to go to. And later we see why. It's not because of fear. It's not because of laziness. But it's actually because he hates these people. He hates the uh, people of Nineveh. They are his enemies. And instead of obeying God and traveling to Nineveh to give them this message from God, instead he boarded a ship in the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. And he bought a ticket and he headed in the opposite direction. The Bible here says Jonah was trying to flee from the presence of God. Time out, right? This guy's a prophet. He knows that God is omnipresent. He knows that God is everywhere all at once. He knew he could not outrun God. But by choosing to disobey God, he chose to break relationship with God. So Jonah paid the fare for his boat ride, but he also was about to pay the fare for his disobedience. So cut to Jonah on this cruise, right? He knows that he has directly disobeyed God, but there's been no lightning bolt that has struck him down. Have you ever done that, right? You're like, I'm going to do this because I want to do it. I know God doesn't want me to do it. And then you kind of look over your shoulder all the time, seeing if God's going to you know, drop an anvil on you from space. But nothing happens. Maybe he thinks he's okay. He's finally able to breathe on this boat, and he thinks, well, maybe God moved on. Maybe God picked somebody else. So Jonah drifts to sleep in the bottom of that boat. But there was a storm that was a brewing. And not just a little storm, but this was the big one. In verse 4, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So God hurled a storm. I mean, he chunked a storm at them. And the sailors were scared to death. They haven't seen a storm like this one before. And they believed that this storm was going to break the ship apart. So as pagans, each one of them tried to call out to all their different gods. And I'm sure when no one picked up, they tried a different one, right? They called out to their gods. They believed that this was the end. So they go as far as to throw the cargo off the ship. And this would have been valuable commodities. This is the reason that they were on this uh, journey. But if you're going to die, what good is money? See, Jonah's sin was not only affecting his life, but the people around him were feeling the effects of his disobedience as well. See, Jonah is running away from God, actively disobeying 
God. And Jonah is there. What is he doing? He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. We can get pretty comfortable outside the will of God, can't we? We can turn blind eyes to what God's trying to show us, and we can get deaf ears to what God's trying to tell us, and we can fall asleep as we head farther and farther away from the direction that God wants us to go. But the consequences of Jonah's sin wake him up. And I know that's happened to me too before. Verse 6, so the captain came to him, captain came to Jonah and says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call to your God. Ours aren't doing anything. It's not working. Call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The captain of the ship wakes Jonah awake. Notice the irony of this pagan sailor telling the preacher to pray. Verse 8. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And these men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Apparently, up to this point, Jonah hadn't really shared the the, the fact that he was a prophet. Maybe he's trying to keep a low profile by hiding from God in the bottom of the boat. But the jig is up now, and they know now that he is a Jew that fears and worships the one God who made everything. And it's clear to the sailors that this God meant business, and this God was not happy with his prophet. See, Jonah knew that the reason that storm was there is that it was sent to God to get him to obey. But instead of obeying, he tells the sailors to throw him overboard. Because he would rather die than obey God and warn the Ninevites about their sin. These men that worshipped other gods were not the ones running from God. But they saw the consequences of Jonah's sin. And they made sure that God knew that they were ready to obey. And they had compassion on Jonah. They didn't want to be murderers. They didn't want any part of that. We see that in verse 14. These mariners, these sailors called out to God. Uh, to Jonah's God there, and said, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They told God, they don't want to perish for Jonah's sin. These men didn't want to throw Jonah into the sea, and they tried and tried to get back to land, but eventually they didn't have any other options. They didn't know what to do. And out of fear, they threw him over. Verse 15, so they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. God hurled the storm, and these men hurled Jonah to stop it. The pagan sailors made vows, and they worshiped God, and they understood that God was in charge even though Jonah, the prophet, didn't understand that. Their gods, these mariners, these sailors, their gods were made of wood and stone, mixes of animals and men. But this God controlled the waves. See, God can pull good out of any situation. 
And he uses the disobedience of this prophet to turn these sailors toward him. Even when you're out of God's will, he can still accomplish his work. Tony Evans says that you don't determine what God accomplishes. You only determine where you fit into the plan. So Jonah's tossed over into the sea without a boat, sinking or swimming. Either way, things look pretty hopeless. But God provides mercy and a second chance for Jonah to do his will by allowing a large fish to swallow him up. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This was an appointment that Jonah was not looking forward to. Yeah, he was alive in a great fish. And this was not just for a few minutes. Jonah was stuck there for days. Rest assured, this would have been gross and painful and depressing, sitting in filth and, a, and all this stomach acid. Fish smell bad from the outside. I can't imagine what they smell like on the inside. Jonah was stuck. And Jonah had plenty of opportunities to repent before this. But finally, the consequences of running from God took their toll and God sat Jonah down in the worst and grossest time out ever. And it was clear that this whale was a way better prophet than Jonah was, right? Because Jonah got the message loud and clear, repent. And after days and days of uncomfortable and gross and probably painful experience, how many of you are watching Boba Fett? You ever watch the book of Boba Fett? Yeah, yeah. You know how uh, Boba comes out of the Zarlock pit and he's all covered in acid and stuff like that, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Think about Jonah when you think about that. <laughs> Star Wars, it's all, it's all in there. But after days and days of this, in this grossness, Jonah finally calls out to God. See, the storm was enough for the sailors to cry out to God, but it took the whale this, for this professional Christian named Jonah, to finally admit who was in charge. Jonah said, and there's this big, long prayer in, verse, uh, in chapter 2, but uh, verse 7, he says this. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. In this passage, Jonah had just let out a big, long preacher prayer, Right? It's a lot of words and theology, but he doesn't really say in this passage that he's sorry. But he does admit who's in charge, and he thanks God for not allowing him to die. And he finally says, okay, I'll obey you. Then verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out of the dry land. So the whale vomits Jonah on the beach. Interesting side note is that whales produce a very valuable compound known as ambergris, most likely through their vomit, and it's found floating in the sea in large quantities. And if found, if you ever find it, you need to keep it and take it to somebody because it's harvested to make very expensive perfume. And it's like hitting the lottery if you find this vomit. So there you go, a little side note for you. But here's the moral of this first part of the story of Jonah. Don't be like Jonah, right? 
Here's this image of a prophet in a whale's belly that finally says, okay, God, I don't want to obey you. I want to see these men and women and children of Nineveh get judged. But I also don't want to die in a fish. So I'll do what you say begrudgingly. See, Jonah hadn't yet accepted that God's way is the best way. And we're going to see that in the next part next week. I wish I could tell you this story got better from here, but next week we're going to see that things get even worse. See, it wasn't just the right thing for Jonah to do to go and warn these Ninevites that the consequences of their sin was coming and that they needed to repent. It was the best thing for Jonah. Yes, he would have avoided all this pain, but we also know that God blesses obedience. We know that God would have taken care of him, and we know that God can be trusted. Don't be like Jonah. Years and years and years later, we see another man sleeping in the bottom of a boat, sent with a message to a people that were his enemies because of their sin. But when the storm comes, he stops it. He loves those people that stand against him. And instead of running from God's will, he submits to it. And instead of retaliating against his enemies, he answers not a word. And this man goes as far to lay down his life to save his enemies. This man spent three days swallowed up in the depths and comes back out alive as well. But Jesus is the opposite of Jonah. Jonah was entombed in the whale because of his sin. And Jesus was entombed in the earth because of our sin. Jesus wanted to save us, his enemies. And Jonah chose to be swallowed by the sea rather than give his enemies a message from the Lord. Don't be like Jonah. Be like Jesus. Don't run from God. Run toward God. Don't let fear and hate keep you from loving your enemies. Instead, pray for your enemies. Do good to those that hurt you. Instead, produce love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Be like Jesus. But before we go overboard, pun intended, and judge Jonah too hard, we've all run from God. And we all have faced the consequences of our disobedience. God has called us all to do things that we are not doing. So what are you running from right now? Maybe you haven't bought the boat ticket, but the trip's on your calendar. You're ready to run. Maybe you're on the ship and the storm is picking up and things are looking bad and you're like, I know why this is happening, but I don't want to obey. Maybe the people around you are suffering the consequences of your storm. Or maybe you're even in the whale right now, and it's dark, and it stinks. No matter what, run to God. God's way is the best way. It's not just the right thing to do. It is what is best for you. With every head bowed and eyes closed, as the band comes,
if you're a Christian and you are a believer and you are someone that has given their life to Christ and asked for forgiveness of your sins and put your full faith and trust in Jesus as your only means for salvation, then God has things for you to do. They're not just empty things. They're not just, you know, a list of chores. But there are things in your life that he wants you to do because he has good things for you. Now, that doesn't mean it's always easy and doesn't mean that you'll be rich and famous and all that kind of stuff. But it means what the Bible says when he says, I know the plans I have for you. And they're good plans that are for your good. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He did not want to give God's word to his enemies. But his life was way harder because he reigned from God. What is God working in your life about now? Maybe you've got somebody that God's been working on your heart about that you feel like, if you were honest, is kind of your enemy. You laugh when they trip or drop something. You're glad when the boss yells at them or when they, you know, hit some type of financial problem. You're glad when they get what's coming to them. The Bible tells us to love our enemies and do good to those that despitefully use us and abuse us. Where is God leading you? Maybe it's away from your sin. Maybe it's toward uh, loving people in a, in a more genuine way and building community with them and, and being there for other people, even when it takes a little bit of sacrifice that makes us uncomfortable. What is God calling you to today? Don't run from it. Maybe you're one of those that did run from it. Maybe it was a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and you knew that God was leading you and you said no. There's always opportunity to run back to God like the prodigal son. He will welcome you back with open arms. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God always has mercy and always has grace and forgiveness. Run to him today. Let's take a few moments as they pray here and play softly. To search our hearts and to search our lives. Take an inventory of what God has been speaking to us about. Maybe for you it's been like a long time since you really felt close to God. Maybe that's what it is. You need to investigate where there's a breakdown in communication between you and God. We know it's not because God has left you or forsaken you or has turned his back on you. It's actually the opposite, most likely. Run to him this morning. Tell him, God, I want to have a close relationship with you. 
God, I want to hear from you. God, I want to know you. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that if you were to die today that heaven would be your home. You're not sure you have a relationship with God. The Bible tells us there's a problem that each every and every person that has ever been born has, and that problem is called sin. Sin is anything we think or say or do that breaks God's law. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It goes on to say that the wages of our sin is death. And that's more than a physical death. It's a separation from God forever in a place called hell. There's sin that each one of us have committed. We've lied, we've cheated, we've uh, thought wicked thoughts, we've said wicked things, and we've been hateful and hurt people around us. And that sin separates us from God. And there's a, a penalty for that sin. There's a punishment for that sin because God is a holy and a just God. And you can pay the penalty for your sin. But Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died in our place so that you don't have to suffer the punishment of your sin. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ walked this earth and he lived a perfect and a holy life. God in the flesh. And then, at the age of 33, he laid down his life on a cross to die in our place. The Bible tells us he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the sons of God. Jesus took our place. That's the gospel. Jesus in my place. Jesus didn't stay dead. After three days, he rose from the grave, bringing our uh, salvation with him. He conquered death and the grave. The Bible says that you can call out to him right now. Put your faith and trust in him as your only means of salvation. Turn from your sin. You could call out to God right now. Words aren't important. You just got to know you're a sinner. You got to know that there's a penalty for your sin in a place called hell. That Jesus paid that penalty so that you don't have to suffer that. And it's no amount of good works or good deeds or membership in a church, but simply putting your faith on what Jesus did 